that's the number one piece of advice that I give folks when they ask me what 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 can I do to advance my career. So find a way to. This episode is brought to you by the good people over at Simplus. Have you purchased Salesforce, but you want strategic guidance on how best to implement it? Do you need to combine several organizations after an acquisition? Does the sales team need training to use it effectively? Simplus, a leading Salesforce partner, can help you do all that and more. Simplus can solve any problem, fix any issue, and optimize your business using Salesforce. Thousands of happy clients are available upon request. Get ready to simplify your Salesforce journey and call Simplus today at 833-SIMPLUS. That's 833-S-I-M-P-L-U-S. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, Lead the Team Nation. Today, I have for you Ryan Northington, who is CEO of Simplus, the North American and Australian and New Zealand Salesforce arm of emphasis the leader in quote-to-cash transformation. Ryan served in other leadership capacities at several other companies, including Accenture. In his current role, he's focused on growth and balancing, of course, work and working at home with young children while leading a global organization. Can you imagine going North America and Australia, two completely disparate time zones, making it happen in both of them? Ryan, welcome to the show. Ben, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate the invitation and very much looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. And let's just get the elephant, clear the elephant out of the room right now. I, I had to read his introduction three or four times because I think he's an Auburn fan, Auburn graduate. I went to Alabama and Auburn fans, just being just just having a conversation at times with an Auburn fan makes makes me feel a little extra pressure. Like kicking. You know, we're not in the room. At the same time, very often, but when it does, I, you know, it's uh, the the rivalry never never stops. Absolutely, yes, yes, it does, uh, or it never. It is true, it never stops. Yeah, when people would move to town, we'd, we'd always make them pick Auburn or Alabama, you know, and, and all this whole deal. And it is fierce, but it is friendly usually, except on that one time a one time of day a year, which I understand you have a house divided. Is that right? We do have a house divided. Both of my parents went to um, Alabama, and uh, me and my uh, two siblings, brother and sister, younger, we all went to Auburn. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, these most recent years, uh, it's uh, been a, a fairly tame Iron Bowl. But uh, the one year, the kick six year, you know, my, my father had to get up and leave the room at the end of that. We didn't sleep <laughs> for thirty minutes as he sort of detoxed from from the other disappointment of that game. So. Yeah, and y'all, I'll put a link to that kick six in the show notes. Although it's going to be painful for me to put that link, but it's one of the most famous football plays in history. And let's just say Alabama had that game won until we didn't anymore, and uh-huh. Auburn pulled off some magic. So that's the way it goes in the Iron Bowl. So let's, you know, we could talk football for a long time, but let's fast forward a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Simplus. What was it like getting started over there a few months in? 
And I was recruited by uh, the founders. Uh, it was a, two, uh, a pair of brothers. And um, and uh, they brought me in to essentially start a, a brand new service line. And it was a really great introduction and also um, uh, exercise and, and trust and leadership you know, for me observing them because they came in and said, okay, we're hiring you as this expert to start this service line. It's called managed services. And we provide ongoing support enhancements, operational type services for, for folks that already have Salesforce implemented, installed mm -hmm. already. And uh, they said, well, what do you need to be successful? And I said, well, I'd, I'd really like to stand up operations in the Philippines. Uh, I've done business in the Philippines before. Fantastic country. People are wonderful, great talent. Uh, I had a network there and I just really, really wanted to lean into that country again. Mm -hmm. And so they sent me over there. No questions, by the way, just said, great, got it, go do it. You know, we trust you. You're, you're, you're here for a reason. If that's what you need, then we're going to make sure that we give that to you. So they sent me over there with a couple of other guys um, who were at the, the, the company at the time. And we're doing the normal thing to set, set up a brand new office. We're looking at real estate, talking to accountants, setting up all the legal stuff. Um, and we're we're on this tour of office buildings, and we we go see this office building on I don't know the tenth floor of this building in in downtown Manila, and uh, we view it. It's fine, it's fine office, but the elevators are broken. Uh, so we come out and we're going down the stairs, the stairwell to get back. Mm -hmm. It's a long hike down 10, 10 stories, ten floors, and as we're walking down, all these Filipinos are scooting by us fairly quickly. And if you've ever been to the Philippines, they speak Tagalog, but they often weave in English. So it's a it's a it's a combination, and that's just how sort of their normal cadence, normal normal language. And so the only word that I could pick out for what they were saying was fire, 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 fire. Uh -oh. But they all had very good at. They were joking, they were laughing, they weren't running, but they were in a hurry. So I'm like, this is a fire drill, right? This is a fire drill in the building. Everyone's just exiting out, and that's fine. So we go down. We've taken our time. We're sort of meandering and moseying along. We go out the building. Everyone's on the street, staring right up at the building. And we go out and we look up and there's just smoke pouring out of the oh. windows about where we were at, you know, somewhere up in the building. And, and we obviously didn't choose that office space and said, let's go see the next one. Right. So that was my introduction. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. yeah this is not a drill. Yeah. So, so you, you were on the search and the building you walked into was on fire. And they're like, hey, take, you, you might like this floor. It'll yeah. Be coming open soon. <laughs> well, since I had done business in the, in the Philippines before, I had, uh, I, I wasn't. I wasn't particularly surprised, right? But uh, at the same time, that that was certainly the first time that it happened to me. So. Wow, that that's like an interesting way to kick this off <laughs> this conversation. Like, hey, yeah, adventures in leadership. Uh, yeah, and sometimes you got to be open to the situation, and sometimes you get red flags that are subtle about a decision you're about to make, and sometimes the red flags are not so subtle. There's, there's definitely a lesson in there. There's there's not a playbook <laughs> for everything. That's uh, there's no maybe another one in there for that that well, uh, to pull out of that one. So let's go even further back um, in, in your in your career. When did you know that you were leadership material? Uh, it was probably um, a little over ten years ago. I had was working for uh, a smaller Salesforce partner uh, in the services space. And I had held multiple positions uh, from business development to project manager. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I had done enough to uh, show success that one of the leaders at that company said, hey, we have this sort of defunct service line. 
I'd like to see what you can do with it, right? Mm -hmm. We got about a dozen contracts. All of them are different. All of them have different terms. You know, they're all delivered with different ways, different constructs, different billing mechanisms, et cetera. It's just sort of a mess of a of a service, right? So mm -hmm. can you can you take that? And I had no experience with anything related to that. This is managed services, right? This is sort of my entry into leading a department, leading a service line in the Salesforce space. And so I just started getting on phones with the clients, our 12 clients, and listening to them. And all of them just had complaints, right? They just did. There was no sort of rhyme or reason. And as I listened both to the customers as well as the team that was delivering that, some themes started to show show up. Mm -hmm. um, and the short short version of this is I just picked some of those big themes and implemented them. Like, for example, let's dedicate one person within the go-to-market region, in this case, North America, that's responsible for that client relationship. And then they're just responsible for taking feedback, making sure everything gets done. Let's implement that. Um, we struggled with things like billing and charging our customers for overage or using too much service. And so mm -hmm. we give them a surprise invoice. Well, they didn't really participate, you know, like that very much. At the same time, they didn't like it when they didn't use their service. Why am I paying for this service that I'm not using? And so no matter which way you were going, the conversation was negative. So it's like, yeah, let's just kill all that and create this interesting, flexible sort of service model. Say when you need it, we're there. And when you don't need it, then you'll bank those hours, that, that, that capacity to be used at a later date. And that just turned both negative conversation to a single conversation is as I mm -hmm. solved these problems mm -hmm. and I saw the growth come, you know, our sales team really responded, hey, these are really good selling points. This is a really good value. Let's take this to market. And so 12 contracts turned into 30, right? In the first mm -hmm. six months, mm -hmm. turned into 60 over the next, you know, nine to 12 months. That's sort of when I knew you know what? I could I could do this, right? I could I could take uh, an idea from sort of nothing or something small and turn that into something, and then rally people and followers around it to the point where we actually can deliver something valuable to a market, to to a client, to a customer. So that was about ten years. Mm. So this is this is a big point for leaders to think about, or even potential leaders, really, really through two different lenses. Number one, for people that are solo contributors today. Like, when do you know, or what are the signs that, that you may be a great leader for your organization? And then two, now that you're down the road as CEO, you're probably looking for this in other people, uh, sure. so you can bring them up in the organization. So I guess, first off, thinking through that example, what's your, what should people be thinking about their solo contributors? If they're not sure if they are leadership material or not. I yeah, mean, I think there's really two two things through that experience that I learned and has mm -hmm. been repeated to me in various ways. So there's some validation there. One, can you sell your ideas and opinions? Not necessarily to a client, internally, to your peers, to constituents, up to management, up the chain, right? Do you have feedback ideas that you think would make a either your job better, your team operate better, or maybe even the whole company? And do you have the ability to communicate that clearly, succinctly to a point where people will listen to it? And then if you can do that, then the next part, which is really a, a leading indicator, if you can do part one, is that are, do you create followers naturally when you communicate those ideas? Do people rally around? That's a really great idea. We should implement that. I'll support you doing that. Um, those two things really early on in my career is what I figured out that is the beginning sort of budding 
signs of a leader, right? Someone that can communicate clearly and generate followers based on that communication. I love it. It's so simply stated, like it's very, and it's very clear. Number one, are you solving problems? And if you're solving the problem, that's not enough. Are you able to sell that solution to people that you need to get on board or need to support it or need to resource it or need to give you the blessing to go out and do it? And it's like selling. People start saying selling is a leadership skill. Absolutely. Some people say it's communicating your idea, but communicating your idea doesn't mean anybody's going to support it. And then the other part about enrolling others in it, to, as you say, rally the troops, rally people around that. Man, that's such great, great advice for leaders. And, and, and the other thing is, it's like when you go to, and we, and we do a lot of leadership training and we, and we prioritize setting a vision, which is a lot like what you're talking about, you know, a new vision forward for you, for your team, for the organization, which is like solving the problem of the customer. But then the second part is enrolling them in that. And I feel like those two so often get left out of the equation. And I love how you're talking about them from a very foundational standpoint here. Sure. The flip side, uh, you're a CEO looking across the organization. Are you filtering your leaders or your potential leaders through these lenses? Or, or what are you doing to, to really identify this in your team? Yes and no. Um, you know, we we are we're a service organization, so we're people oriented, right? We're people mm-hmm. first, right? Everything we do is around people. We're selling, you know, the value that our people can bring to a client. Yep. And so you sort of have natural environments, many environments in which you see thrive as leaders, because when you form a project team of say six people, they're going to deliver this work to a client to get them onto Salesforce. You'll see who the natural leaders are, right? Mm -hmm. Who is convincing the client who you're going to have, you know, three, four, five, six people in the room on the client side, two of them might be stakeholders. They might be invested in your success. The rest of them might be a little hesitant. What does this do to my job? Am I getting power taken away from me? They're going to get defensive potentially. Change is difficult no matter what for individuals or organizations. And so you start throwing up change, which is really what we do. We change, you know, just on the software side, the back office software side, you know, we're implementing change for customers, for people. You throw change in front of a person, you know, seven times out of 10, you're going to get a negative reaction. Change is, is a, it creates a visceral sort of reaction. Yeah. For and so, so you're not saying you're getting promoted or you're <laughs> winning the lottery. You're saying things are going to change. You're going to have to change. And that, yeah. So that's right. So you, it's, it's, and, and it doesn't mean always positive things. It's, and it's every customer. It doesn't matter who the customer is, big, small enterprise, mm-hmm. this industry, that industry, they're all the same. Change creates this response in people. The team, our team is not just there to implement software. They're not just impl- there to implement Salesforce. They're also there to help the client through the mm-hmm. chain. So you will see natural folks within that project, that little team rise up to communicate effectively to the client yeah. why this is happening, to create mm-hmm. followers of those clients on the journey that we're trying to take them on, which is, hey, your processes are outdated, they need to be re-engineered and they need to be on the Salesforce platform if you're gonna achieve whatever X, Y, and Z, whatever the, the client's trying to achieve. And so because we have all these little microcosms, we have hundreds of projects that go on throughout the year, you know, we have these little, you know, environments, experiments, if you want to call them that, where folks get a chance to 
showcase, practice, and or figure out whether or not they are leaders of people. Mm. Love it, love it, love it. Now, you mentioned Manila. Uh, you mentioned Philippines, and you have a truly remote workforce because North America, Australia, New Zealand, truly global. Mm-hmm. You've had some success, of course, growing the company and your your major growth mode now. What are the keys for driving success with a remote workforce? Well, the uh, the beauty of, of of our business and consultancy in general is that you know that's sort of business as usual for us. So even if you take away the global nature of it, and maybe you just look at North America, mm-hmm. even in North America, we're a distributed workforce. We only have one office in Salt Lake City, our headquarters. Other than that, everyone is remote. Everyone works from their homes, an airport, hotel, client site, et cetera. But to make that work, uh, you know, we've really honed in on two things. Uh, one is my opinion. One is something that we have instilled as a culture at Simplis. And the, 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 the cultural aspect of it is really around creating an environment of clarity. Right. What are we as an organization doing to succeed on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly basis? And that has created a culture in which folks really enjoy working at Simplest. Right. When you have fulfilled, happy employees, they wake up wanting to do really good work. And so having that clarity, something that the entire organization, no matter whether you're in Manila, whether you're in Sydney, whether you're in, you know, San Francisco, the mission's the same, the direction's the same, the values are the same, what we're waking up to do every single day is the same across the board. And that clarity really has created this culture of of, of camaraderie, teamwork. And mm-hmm. no one wants to let their team down because of that. And that is a great motivator, quite frankly, of people, right? When you start caring about the team and the people around you more so than yourself, you don't want to let them down. And that drives uh, an organization with high productivity. So that's that's one aspect. The other aspect is unconditional trust. And so that story I told at the very beginning of the podcast, that's a great example of that, where when you start at Simplest, you are given unconditional trust. You do not have to earn it at our organization. Mm-hmm. You can lose it, but you don't have to earn it, right? It is given to you immediately because we've hired you for a reason and we trust you to deliver on that. And we trust you to deliver it in your own special way because everybody's going to be different. So unconditional trust is one. And because of that sort of underlying culture, folks aren't worried about oversight, micromanagement. You know, we're not curious, you know, whether or not you're putting your time in it starting at 8 a.m. in the morning, or maybe you start at 10 a.m. you know, that morning because you got to take your kids to school. That's just that's just sort of life. And we trust that you'll work. Mm your life around the expectation of work and professionalism. And and that works out nine times out of 10, quite frankly. That's huge. I think it's a really, it's tough for leaders, especially with, with new hires, bringing them in. And I guess you're really thinking about this when you go through the hiring process. Is this someone that we can trust that can work independently, that can be fully accountable? And if so, yeah, I, mean, I think that's that's a great thing. And I think uh, it's it's kind of a talking point for some leaders who like say, you have my trust, but then they don't actually act it out. Uh, sure. They're constantly checking in and micromanaging and whatnot. <clears throat> but you, it sounds like you all are really able to ingrain that as part of your culture. So it's not just you doing it, but it's people you know throughout the organization. Uh, and we talk about trust, a lot of the training that we do, Talk about trust being a combination of believing that someone's sincere, 
reliable, and competent. And if you're missing any one of those three, you're probably not going to fully trust a person. Sure. I <laughs> so think that's a great call. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, a lot of times we implement that in a way where you know we're, we're a, an organization that solves problems both internally for ourselves and for clients. And so mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times it's easy as leaders and even sometimes as managers to come in and usurp someone's power by trying to solve that problem for them. Mm. Our case, we use the phrase quite a bit. What would you do? What do you think? As sort of a leading indicator of saying, look, I trust you enough that, you know, I'm interested in your opinion on how to solve this problem. If you need help, I am here to help you. But first and foremost, what would you do? What's your opinion? And that really helps sort of create the foundational framework of, you know, leading with trust, right? I like it. So they will say, what do you mean you can lead with a question? Well, you just gave an example, right? What would you do? Absolutely. <laughs> Flip it around. It also slows down the advice giving, which we as leaders love to do. Uh, okay. And uh, get it step into that element of that, that world of curiosity a little bit more. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to binfanning.com slash insight. So what's one trait you wish you could instill on every employee and why is it so important? This has actually been on my mind recently, especially with the pandemic and a lot of the macroeconomic challenges we've been facing. And it's really resiliency. Hmm. And it's a specific version of resiliency or maybe a different angle of resiliency. It's not just, you know, do you have tough skin and can you push through hard things? You know, sometimes that's it's that's not appropriate. People might be in a bad environment or bad situation. Mm-hmm. You don't worry about, you know, protecting that person. But it's really about are you as a person resilient enough to be able to push through hard times or a hard situation so that you come out on the other end with a lesson, right? With an mm-hmm. opportunity something. And it's almost like supercharged learning, really hard times, a little bit of chaos, um, a difficult situation will create more lessons and opportunity for growth than any sort of class or training or certification or anything like that. And so if you can sort of instill or learn for yourself, what does it mean for me to be resilient in the face of challenges, in the face of a difficult time, whether it's, you know, for me, my team, the company, you know, the economy, then you'll find yourself not being so bogged down by the fear and the worry and the pessimism of the situation. You'll find yourself looking for that opportunity to learn and grow as a person. It's just going to make you better when you come out the other end of it, right? Yeah, I like that. And I think I think a lot of people miss that. A lot of leaders miss that. They say, yes, they want resiliency because they want their people to keep working through sure. hard times and not burn out and quit. But I, I think you're making a key connection for all of us to think about. Resiliency is important because it allows us to endure the tension and stress of the situations that make us grow and make us learn. It's like when you're working out, if you're not straining your muscles and breaking them down a little bit, you're not going to get any stronger. Sure. And I think that that resiliency uh, is required for that. I, th- I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, it's, 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 this is supposed to be hard. This the stuff that we're doing in many cases is hard. You know, yeah, that's why you're getting paid for it, right? Building yeah, a business, running a business, implementing for a client, you know, it's the, those are hard things to do. And, and if you can separate, you know, am I in a disrespectful or, or a, um, uh, 
you know, trauma-based environment, or is this just a really hard time? If you can do that, then that's fine. But if you're just in a really hard time, a really hard environment, really hard period, that resiliency is going to create such such great opportunities for growth that, that uh, I wish more people would realize that angle of it versus just getting so bogged down in the pessimism of the situation. When's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career? And how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Well, actually, that's sort of something to do with um, uh, what we already talked about, which is, you know, sort of the importance of knowing and learning how to sell um, as part of, you know, becoming a leader or establishing leadership traits. I actually was a salesperson in a in a past life, um, and I did not enjoy it very much. And I was mediocre at best, probably, right? So um, uh, I was in that position for about four or five years. And you know, enjoyed some aspects of it, but for the most part, really didn't enjoy selling. And so I made the, I just made the assumption, I made the decision for myself, selling is just not for me, right? I'm just not a salesperson. And so then I went and got into, you know, a couple of jobs later, I went and got into this, this, uh, this managed services position where this leader at this other company entrusted me with, hey, we have this defunct organization. And I learned very quickly that 90% of my job was selling something. It may not have been a salesperson. I may not be carrying a bag. I may not be managing opportunities, but I am supporting sales. I'm developing go-to-market decks. I'm trying to convince someone that the way we do things, the way I do things, is valuable enough for them to pay me for it, mm. right? So these are all things that that I had to relearn and or sort of have a cathartic experience with to say, you know what? I really do enjoy selling. That's actually one of my favorite parts of the job is selling, um, just the job of a salesperson, I'm just not the best at it. There's other people that are more equipped to do that job, but still selling is still incredibly important, incredibly key, incredibly foundational to any ambitious person's, you know, desire to grow their career in advance in, 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 a, in a professional manner. And so I had very quickly over the course of a couple of years had made the decision that selling wasn't for me. I'm not a salesperson to, it's my favorite part of the job. Right. And I want to do more of it. And I want to figure out the art of why people buy things from other people. That is an interesting problem to solve in a very interesting anthropological sort of experiment. And you know what? I believe in the seller's high. It's fun when someone, when you win a deal, right? There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, uh, fun and enjoyment in that. The seller's high. I love it. And I love the fact that like we could have teed up that segment on how do you go from hating sales to making it your favorite part of the job? <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. But you really, I think you proactively found, well, first of all, you understood the value. Like this is an important part. If I'm going to grow in the company, I'm going to grow <laughs> as a leader. I need to make selling a priority. I, I, I can't just not do it. And I think what, it sounds like you, you made that in that moment, you really made that mental switch to, okay, selling ain't going away. Uh, I need to find a way I can do this and I can enjoy it and identifying, yeah, like it, it feels great to close a new deal. And it, you know, some of y'all's projects probably go on for a long time and it can be hard to celebrate because it could, it, I mean, you might be waiting months to celebrate, whereas in sales, sometimes sales cycles are long, but it gives you something else to celebrate. It kind of keep you going. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, and so I think one of the hope, one of the messages that our leaders are taking away today is, look, selling for leaders is necessary, even if you're not the VP of sales. And it's an important part of your job and it can be rewarding. 
Absolutely. It's, it's the number one piece of advice that I give folks when they ask me, what, what, what can I do to advance my career? It's like, find a way to be part of the selling process, even if it's a small part. Just get of access to it. Get um, experience with it, right? Get some just exposure to it. Um, yeah. and, and you'll, you'll get the itch, right? And you'll start figuring things out and what, what, how you can participate, but you need to get that experience in some form or fashion, even again, if, even if it's just a small part. And so with that in mind, what do you think a first step is for a leader who's maybe in the, during their operation side, maybe they're maybe on the programming into the business. What's your advice for them to get a taste of sales just so they can get a little bit of that and in, into their repertoire? Yeah, actually, in in my um, in 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 my role, you know, I, I give that piece of advice f- fairly frequently, um, uh, even to folks that, <coughs> excuse me, even to folks that, like you said, are maybe in a, in the the back office in, in an mm-hmm. operating role, and because we sort of have created this this culture of teamwork and, and unconditional trust, it's hey, go pick the phone up and go talk to our head of sales for North America, ask him how I can help. Right. Just just do it. Just have the conversation with them. You know, you, you don't need permission to do that. You know, everyone has, you know, a open door, metaphorical open door policy, mm-hmm. which is there's availability on someone's calendar. And you want to talk to that person? Cheers. Right. Even me. So that's it. Just to go have the conversation, pick up the phone and and chat and then say, hey, I, I really want to get more involved in sales. I might be a data, a data analyst uh, in the back office. What can I do? And he may, you know what? Let's. I would love for you to run these reports so we can talk about maybe per rep efficiency and figure out, you know, where hmm. what what is our top sellers doing that makes them successful, and is there something to pull from that data? Well, you've just participated in a small piece of the sales process and what it means to be selling, right? Um, so that's it's as simple as that. Really, is just pick the phone up and call the person that can influence that. So so good, and it's so practical. Call somebody in sales. Talk to them. And then the next step, other than just talking, of course, is to participate somehow. And you just gave them some great tips for that to support the sales team. Maybe go along on a sales call. I mean, my goodness. I uh, The first part of my career, I was not in sales. And then when I got into sales, I was in, uh, working for a company in New York. And man, the thing that got me the most out of going to doing sales was all the rejection. Uh, yep. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, man, that's necessary. And that's part of the business. I'm, I'm curious: are there what uh, what books or podcasts regarding sales uh, have been some of the uh, maybe one or two of the more memorable ones for you? Um, I think the big ones, you know, getting to yes, mm-hmm. um, is a big one. Um, there is another one, a great one by uh, he's the. Um, the lead negotiator or uh, uh what was his name who's an fbi negotiator who wrote a book who is fantastic about negotiation and it's really really good i'll see if i can find it we can okay. link it yeah yeah uh, we'll we can come up of, with it we'll we'll stick it in the show notes for people so that yeah. so that that's on the negotiation side yeah so that that makes a lot of sense one of my favorites though and it's a thin little book and it is kind of cheesy and you can read on an airplane is selling the wheel hmm. and it's uh, I just I love that book a because it's such an easy read, but B it, you know it talks about you know the four different types of you know macro selling personas and in mm-hmm. fun little stories and it really sort of you know separates the the closer from the relationship builder you know the tactical salesperson from the technical salesperson and I think 
you know, the big thing I took away from that book is that you don't have to fit a specific profile, right? The, the, the mm-hmm. media and and, mm-hmm. and the, the what you consume, there's this image of a salesperson that you think about. Well, that's, we have a ton of salespeople at Simplest and there's so much fun to see how all of them are so different in the way they approach selling in relationship building. In this book, in a, in a really short amount of time, highlights that, right? There's multiple profiles and you might be more introverted, much more around uh, solving problems. That's going to be the technical salesperson. And a lot of customers want that versus the closer who's going to, right, push you to get that deal done as quickly as possible. So they can move on to the next one. So, which there's value in both. Yeah, good. Value in both great. Game yes and selling the wheel. We'll put the, put those in the show notes. I actually have not read selling the wheel, but I've heard of it. Um, yeah. So great. So that that's another great resource. It's such a, another practical thing. Read a book about selling. And I'll, I'll tell you, a, a lot of people out there have not. And <sighs> you know, sales people or the s- selling in general often gets a terrible rap of people. They feel like they're going to be pushy, slimy, you know, stretching the truth and all that other stuff. And they get a really bad rap. But I think on the other side of that, that misconception, and of course, I think those people are out there, but on the other side of that, a stereotype is a lot of possibility for leaders. And if you can hone your skills in the selling around, you're going to be better off for it. Oh, man, it's such a great topic there, Ryan. And Ryan, before we close it down here, uh, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? Um. We give a lot of trust to folks, and with that does come some responsibility, right? So don't be afraid to take your career and and your success in your own hands, right? No one's going to give it to you. And uh, speak up, provide feedback. You know, uh, you know, let someone know what you think you need to be successful, and work with them to figure out, you know, how to get that. Um, you know, managers, leaders that we we actually all want that. We we we, we want it secretly without. You know, coming out and saying that we want your feedback. We want you to tell us what you need to be successful because more times than not, they are looking to give that to you, right? Mm-hmm. They just, they just, it's a two way street. And if you can be more clear about what you need to be successful, I bet you'll find more times than not that you'll end up getting it. Thanks, Ryan. Ben, thank you. Appreciate the time. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.